0: You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Well, the establishment of the Trinity as biblical fact by the apostate churches around us is a tragedy. This video is based on the book by the same name and from which we develop this podcast, When Jesus Became God. It's an interesting look at how the doctrine of Christ's pre-existence and the doctrine of the Trinity came into being and what the Bible really has to say regarding those beliefs
1: when Jesus became God, but what it is, is a book about the history and the struggle to define Christianity during the last days of Rome. And so what it's about is putting it in a historical uh, presence of uh, essentially to show the doctrine of the Trinity and how it developed 200 to 300 years after the new testament was written and the development of that and the involvement of the uh the empire the emperors at the time and also the uh quote the um, the church um bishops and order and their involvement with it so uh, it becomes uh, quite interesting but it's helpful for us as we look at it, as we see that it is a development essentially separate from the Bible. And it's developed from there. So just to put us in the background of of what's going on at the time, in 303 we have the great persecution of Christians under Diocletian, And then 312 we have the rise of Constantine, and uh, his battle at the Milvan Bridge. 313, we have Licinius defeats Maximus, and he ruled the Eastern part of the Roman Empire. And then in 313, between Licinius and um, Constantine, they brought forth a law for Christian, uh toleration throughout the Roman Empire. And then in 324, Constantine defeats Licinius and becomes the undisputed ruler of the Roman Empire. So we're mainly dealing with Constantine as, as we go through these slides. So what the book does is it gives us the, the history it doesn't deal with doctrine for the most part it deals with the history and what has gone on during these times now at the time of the mill Van bridge uh, constantine is reportedly constantine was a pagan monotheist a devotee, a devotee of the sun god Sol invictus the unconquered sun. However, before the Milvan bridge battle, battle, he and his army are said to have seen a cross of light in the sky above, the sun with words in Greek, which are generally translated into Latin, of which I'm not gonna read, interpreted in this sign conquer. And what uh, Constantine did at that time is he, he painted a cross On the shields of all his men as he went forth to battle and this is considered when possibly Constantine converted to Christianity, although he wasn't baptized till just before his death. It is suggested he used Christianity to accomplish his political endeavors to unify Rome. So to him, the religious uh, outgoings were a opportunity uh, politically for him. And we we gave uh, in in our background, we spoke about 313, the Edict of Milan. Constantine gave Christians and unspecified others indulgence to worship as they pleased. The edict also mandated the return of property that had previously been confiscated. So we see that that what this does is it puts Constantine in a good position with the bishops of Christianity because he now has brought them back into favor. He has given back their property and and, uh, he actually... Uh, a number of them, as time went on, were given wages and they were made part of the government so the the church was incorporated into the government in running the country and he did all this to to um, so that he could rule uh, in a better way now uh, Before the Battle of the Milvan Bridge, there were four emperors, Maximinus, Licinius, Constantine, and Maxentius. So, these these four rulers were ruling at at this time, uh, just before 312. And there was an alliance between Maxentius and Maxentius. So that is the um, the blue area, and the light brown area. They were um, they had an alliance between themselves, and because they had an alliance, that meant that Constantine, which is sort of the orangey area, and Licinius, which is the brown area, they were sort of forced to to make a um, an alliance between themselves and to do this Constantine gave Licinius uh, his half-sister to marry. so there was it was by by marriage the two of them were, were joined together so in April 313 Maximus the brown area invades Licinius which was successful for a while but then uh, he was defeated, and then in october i've got this reverse ground, but it doesn't matter uh, Maximus blue area attacked Constantine's uh, forces and was defeated at the milvan bridge and that's where supposedly Constantine saw this vision of a cross, and with that, he moved forward and it was looked upon that this was god's sign that that He would win the battle. At the same time, in this area, it was broken down in religious areas. Um, Constantine decided to establish a new capital of the Roman Empire at Constantinople. So we see in the blue area there of the map, the uh, dark blue or purple. is this focused okay for everybody? Good, because I'm too close to it. <laughs> okay, so the, the blue area of the map there um, is, I'm going to start by the numbers. First of all, Alexandria. Alexandria is is this area here, and um, it, it was um, quite a, um, I, I guess to call it, a school for uh, the bishops and whatnot, but it was mer- very much involved with the. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the term to use. Very much involved with the, the teachings of the day, the, the Gnostics, and Gnostics is the wrong term to use, um, with, with the thinking, the philosophy of the day. They were, it was very much involved with the philosophy of the day, and that was very much mixed in with their religious studies and whatnot. Uh, In fact, a lot of the bishops um, had the schooling of the views of the day first before they had their training as far as their understanding of the gospel. We have also, so we have the areas broken down in four areas, Alexandria, Rome, and you can see where Rome is, Antioch, which is the the purple area on my left, and then Constantinople. Uh, So so these were the areas. And in Constantinople was where the... um, the Nicene Conference took place and where the Nicene Creed comes from. And the Nicene Creed was the beginning of the um, doctrine of the Trinity. Now, Constantine, by establishing a new capital uh, in Constantine, it enabled Rome to exist for, or the empire to exist another thousand years. Now, just um, to go through, we're going to step through the thinking of some of the teachers at, leading up to this time. So here we have Justin Martyr, and um, he quotes, Jesus may still be the Christ of God, though I should not be able to prove his pre-existence as the Son of God who made all things. So Justin believed in the pre-existence of Christ, but he couldn't prove it from scripture. The doctrine of the Trinity had not been fully developed at this time. So he felt uh, that Christ did pre-exist and you cannot have the Trinity without pre-existence. So here we see pre-existence is actually the basis for understanding this doctrine. Here's my point I was trying to make earlier. Many of the founders of the Catholic faith were schooled in Plato and Socrates. This would have influenced their thinking. Tertullian, he came along a little later And here's his summation. We worship unity in trinity and trinity in unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance. There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal the majesty, eternal So as we go through, your head's going to start spinning with all this double talk and trying to understand exactly what they're trying to put forth. And uh, if, if you feel bad for a moment that you don't understand what they're really trying to get at, don't feel bad because that's a good thing. <laughs> if you, if you can, if you can follow this and, and uh, agree to it, then we'll have another discussion. <laughs> Constantine, uh, about this time, so 324, he became sole empire, emperor of the empire. In 325, he presided over the council of Nicaea and provided the foundation of the Trinity. The creed is still used today. Constantine didn't know any of the doctrine but he appointed him he himself appointed bishops and he had his successors uh, convene councils to address matters of faith and actually at the council of Nicaea Constantine came in and he uh, presided over the council he directed the conversation and actually he he very strongly enforced which way the bishops should vote. And and you can understand, um, first of all, the bishops and their uh, submission to Constantine, they have just gone through persecution in which many of them probably would have marks or some of them, you know, injuries left from the persecution. He has given them back all their lands. Some of them he has given uh, positions in the government in which they're, they're, they're paid. So we can see how Constantine is using his influence on the, um, the council. And um, So in 3030 uh, the city of Constantinople was founded and it was considered the new Rome. It was only after Constantine's death, Constantine, Constantinople became a Christian cult of the virgin goddess Rhea gradually became transformed into the Virgin Mary. Now that's 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 kind of interesting how we see how things transform things are developing the, the doctrines of i'm going to say the which is true the doctrines of the Catholic Church are just developing so one one of the uh He wasn't a bishop, he was a priest of Alexander. His name was Arius. And he believed that Christ was subordinate. He was a subordinate divinity to God. So he was was a God, but he was below the God. Before God created the universe, he created his son. And it was Christ that created the universe. This is all part of the pre-existence. But he believed only one being can be almighty. There can be only one supreme God. He was the prime mover in developing a doctrine called Arianism. They didn't believe in the Trinity, but did believe in the pre-existence of Christ. What we'll see is that the pre-existence is key to the doctrine of the Trinity. Another man who opposed Arius was Alexander and he was a bishop and he believed the son of God, Christ had always existed. God and Christ were equal and also the spirit was equal. And then uh, under under alexander was Ath- athanasius and uh in the council the word homo uh, i thought i could pronounce it at home you can always pronounce it at home cuz no one else is listening right <laughs> homoousos meaning The Son, Jesus Christ, is of the same substance with God the Father. So out of the Nicene Council, the very view came forth that that Christ was of the same substance as the Father, and that word is used. The theological argument, only God can save people from sin. Jesus Christ saves people from sin. Therefore, Jesus Christ is God. So we're, we're, we're giving a, a little bit of the logic that, that, that they would think through. As opposed to the Arian heresy that Arius uh, portrayed, Arianism assist, insisted that the Son was a mere creature. In other words, he was human. But Athanasius argued for Christ's full Divinity. So, um, and I'm I'm trying to keep this really short because the book is over 200 pages and it goes through all the, all the history and you, you try to keep the the names of all these people straight as you go through, and uh, there's times I struggled with that. So, Theodosius. Uh, was um, a em- emperor after Constantine after after um, Constantine? Sorry, yeah. After Constantine, he was the emperor after Constantine. So he viewed councils' proceedings subsidiary to his own lawmaking. The imposition of the Trinity was an imperial matter and the church had little option to acquiescence to his law. January 381, the emperor issued a letter to impose the Nicene faith across his provinces. At the council, they were debating this, this view and he cut it short and he just said, this is what's gonna go out uh, through the empire. So it's interesting as you go through and you, and you read different things over the internet on this topic, you read through um, those who are pro-Trinitarians will say, the church decided this. The church wanted this council. But when you read history, it shows, and it's interesting, it shows how the emperors, Use their power to push things forward um, and uh, push these views forward. So the Trinity versus Arianism, uh, the division was so great that it caused riots in the street, that people would get up in arms and many people were hurt, people were imprisoned. Uh, Athanasius was excommunicated five times Arius was banned from his churches. The process went back and forth until resolved finally by the emperor Theodosius. So the first council of Nicaea, this is the one that Constantine was over, uh, and it was Constantine who who called for this uh, council, and he presided over the opening session And took part in the discussion. Now he knew nothing virtually of of the scriptures. He was a pagan. He was a pagan who worshiped the sun god. And and now all of a sudden he's presiding over this church council. He hoped to unify the empire by solving the division. This was a political opportunity for him. The council condemned Arius and declared Christ the same substance as the father. And yet Arianism still thrived in Eastern and Western empires. And many of the church leaders were exiled. So the Nicene Creed is accepted as authoritative uh, by Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, and major Protestant churches. This creed was updated in 381, in which uh, the topic of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit was clarified at that time. But this is, this is a doctrine that, that developed from this Council of Nicene in 325. Arianism, Arius' basic premise was the uniqueness of God who alone, self-existent, not dependent for his existence on anything else and immutable, the son who is not self-existent cannot therefore be self-existent and immutable God. Because the Godhead is unique, it cannot be shared or communicated because the Godhead is immutable, the son who is mutable must therefore be deemed a creature who has been called into existence out of nothing and has had a beginning. So what he's arguing here is that Christ was not eternal, that there had to be a beginning, even though he did believe that Christ pre existed and uh, if you're starting to, your head's starting to spin a little bit it's okay now uh, Gregory, which is uh, one of the uh, bishops at the time of three eighty one in the council, he asked this question he was asked what why the Spirit wasn't recognized in the Gospels as the Trinity. Why why wasn't this doctrine recognized um, during the time when the the, uh, Gospels were written? And his answer was, the doctrine of the Trinity had been subject to progressive revelation. During Jesus' time on earth, there had simply been too much for the disciples to take in. And the Godhead of the spirit was retained until they were able to absorb it. The empire, Thaddeus, silenced the debate, though unresolved, and put into law for all to uphold. So we see here that for the most part, it is admitted, That the Trinity is something that is outside of God's word. And it developed from there. Now, if you speak to a Trinitarian today, he may go to a couple of verses to to, um, elaborate and, and, and find proof. But for the most part, it's recognized that this is something that came after, developed afterwards and progressed. We see at this time new forms of worship, uh, public veneration of saints and related shrines and rituals. Shrines were erected in honor of men and women who suffered for the faith. Saints were recognized as special representatives of God and were thought to be vehicles for his miraculous power. Building of churches were stimulated by Constantine's building at Jerusalem and Rome. And here we have a picture of um, Hagia Sophia in Constantinople, actually, which has recently been turned into a mosque. But we see the architecture and whatnot. So we we see the development after the Bible was written, the New Testament was written. We see a development, a change in in worship and belief. So doctrines and beliefs. So here we have uh, a diagram of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and showing them all connected together. And what they are is each is fully God, complete, whole, and entire. They believe that Christ was incarnate. In other words, that means uh, he was a God or spirit in a human form. So when Christ was born, he was born incarnate. He, He was God in a human form. And they believe that Christ created the earth. so here we have St. Augustine uh, in 400 AD who wrote a book on the Trinity. Ultimately, the Trinity is a mystery. The language is imperfect, and we struggle to understand through analogic... Analog, analog, why am I so stumped? Analogic... Anyways, I'm going to skip it. Why therefore do we not call these three together one person as one essence and one God? But say three persons while we do not say three gods or three essence unless it be because we wish some one word to serve for the meaning whereby the Trinity is understood that we might not be altogether silent when asked what three? while we confess that they are three. So here he is trying to give his understanding of what the Trinity is. And I think he really uh, hits it on the nail on the head when he says the Trinity is a mystery. Because uh, as you go through and, and try to understand all these people's wording, it gets so convoluted that it becomes next to impossible to understand the logic. I was listening to some talks uh, on this very topic, uh, what, when Jesus became God. In fact, this professor, Bart Ehrman had written a book also entitled When Jesus Became God. And... He, he, he said this, the Trinity is not logical. So don't try to make a logical statement out of it because it's a mystery. So don't try to understand it in a logical way because you won't be able to. Here's a quote uh, from William Penn and he says, Know then, my friend, that the Trinity was born above 300 years after the ancient gospel was declared. It was conceived in ignorance and brought forth and maintained by cruelty. And I thought that was just an excellent uh, quote. Because what he's saying is the doctrine didn't come to be until 300 years after the gospel. Conceived in ignorance, maintained by cruelty, and that is exactly how the church maintained it. If you did not believe the Trinity, you were persecuted. And uh, we don't need to go into all the persecutions that, that took place o- over this doctrine. But I, I thought it was a very, a very succinct uh, statement that he made. So where do we go with all this? Well, if you're like me, you're certainly confused as you read through in all these explanations. But we know if we turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, we can take comfort that God is not the God of Confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 For God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all churches of the saints and 1 John 4 verse 1 we had uh, will read that for us tonight and which is a very good chapter if we wanted to go through the trinity in detail which is which is uh, not the trinity but the proper beliefs in detail and what was taking place, which is not um, our goal this evening. First uh, John four verse one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we're told here that obviously we have to try the spirits. We have to see if they are in line with God's word and if they're not then we know that there's no value in them so and we can ask well what is the spirit well first John 5 verse 6 tells us this is he that came by water and the blood even Jesus Christ not by water only but by water and blood and it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth so here we're being told that, that the spirit is truth. So if, if God's spirit is involved, it is truth. And we have God's truth in front of us, his, his holy word. And if, it, if what we hear conflicts with that word, then we know that it is of the spirit of man. And it is he who has made it up. We see that Paul's understanding was there was one God and we don't plan on going through every one of these passages, but Romans sixteen twenty seven to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one body, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all. 1 Corinthians 8, there is no God but one. There is one God, the Father, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. You see here the separation between the Father, the Father, and the Son, that there is only one God. 1 Timothy 6, Who is the blessed and only Potentate, King of kings, Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can see and approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see. So that is the God whom we worship. We see through scriptures, that the disciples looked for the Messiah, the seed of David, right through the Old Testament into the New. And it is a very powerful message that Christ is of the seed, is of the lineage of David. Psalm 2, verse 7, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Luke one verse thirty five. If we, these are we're all familiar with these, but these put forth a very important precedent of what uh, Scripture details for us. Luke one verse thirty five, and the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come down upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So here we have very clearly um, what what is taking place. Acts 2 verse 29. So we can see that from uh, the gospel, exactly who the Son of God is. Acts 2 verse 29 Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and a sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Now, what meaning? Would those verses have to David, to Paul as he's preaching, if Christ was alive before David? What meaning would those verses have? They would have no meaning at all whatsoever because you can't have the son born before his seed, David. He has to be born out because he's part of David's loins, he's part of his seed. He cannot exist before he exists after the fact. It's impossible to be otherwise. Uh, Acts 7 talks about raised a prophet like unto Moses. So here we have Moses is looking forward looking to when Christ would would, uh, appear. Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. We'll quickly turn there. Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. Conquering his son, conquering his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed... Oh, I'm sorry. Start again. Concerning his son... Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So we see here that emphasize he's made of the seed of David. He's declared to be the son of God. How? By the resurrection from the dead. So... Pre-existence is out of the question. The Trinity is out of the question. because how does a God die and be raised again? Who is eternal? Who, when we speak of God who is eternal, it's, there's no beginning of time and there's no end of time. Where you and I think of a beginning and an end, but not with the Father, but with the Son, There was a beginning of time. Let's uh, go on to the next slide. So we see the Trinity laid out as a false doctrine. One that is not taught in Scripture. If Christ is the Son of God, he cannot be eternal. An eternal Son implies he cannot be the internal son implies a father. Father implies the idea of generation. Generation implies a time period. So if if you are of the if you are born of the father it implies a time period it, it implies a beginning. If Christ son of, is if Christ son of God by necessity God is superior to him. Begotten of the Father, there must have been a time when he was not. If you're born of the Father, there was a time before where you did not exist. You were not. Eternity is something that has no beginning or stands in any reference to time. The Son supposes time, the two terms, son and eternity, is impossible. And I think the, that wording is not mine, so that's why I stumbled with it a bit. But um, I, I thought that was helpful to think through the, the process of, of time and, and, and Christ being begotten of the Father. The, sad, the saddest thing, brothers and sisters, in looking at this, not and I know I've started off talking about the Catholic Church, but what the saddest thing is, is the majority of Christendom today holds the doctrine of the Trinity to be true. So therefore, the majority of Christians today do not understand the work of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not understand God's manifestation and how we need to, to manifest the Father and the Son in our lives. They do not understand those principles. They do not understand the truth of God's word. And where does that leave you and I? What responsibility do we have to those round about us who hold on to this doctrine, who do not understand this doctrine because it's a mystery? Do we have a responsibility to them? Do we have a responsibility to witness the truth of God's word So that those who are searching the scriptures may understand what is truth. And I think when we really think about that, we see the need as our Lord's return is nigh at hand, that we have to witness the truth of his word to those round about us.